here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations, limited time only, plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Do I have everybody's attention now? I'm so jacked up just thinking about this match, and I'm standing and pacing in my den. Mikazi now he's not okay, so, so Mik- he's not a kid anymore. He's, he's, he's a boy. He's a man. He's, no. he's, he's man. Man Mikazi. Are you ready? He got PWS superstar by him. And he was gone in two minutes. So in go Bernalis. In Bernalis. In go Bernalis. You're missing a B there, but that's There's a B? This is what I'm talking about. These letters don't go together. Oh, you're having a wank, are you? And it's like, no! Many, 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 Listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> Give me a name. I like him. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I like in, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. And welcome to the special bonus edition. Voices of Wrestling podcast. I am Joe Lanza, and the reason that you've got this special bonus edition of the podcast in your podcast feed right now is because I took my customary week off for the March Madness NCAA basketball tournament. Did not do a show this week with Rich, the usual midweek Wednesday or Thursday that we generally record, and we'll usually put it out for the masses on Thursday or Friday, but I was all wrapped up with the basketball. So I took the week off. Now, I take that week off every year to watch basketball. We've been doing a show probably every week for about three years straight now. We've been doing the show for four or five years, but pretty much on a weekly and consistent basis for the past three years or so. But I I generally take this week off. Because as many people know who follow me on the uh, shoot Twitter account, at Joe M. Lanza, 
or, you know, just hear me talking on this show, you guys know I'm an enormous, enormous college basketball fan. And nothing is going to stop me from watching that tournament. So I do take a week off. Now, because I am such a tremendous and fantastic podcast host of the best wrestling podcast in the world, the Voice of Wrestling Flagship Podcast, I do feel guilty about that for taking that week. Uh, We do go the great lengths to ensure that we record a show every single week for you guys. Even with both of our busy schedules, we find a way to get it done. But when I can't, I do feel guilty. And I did feel guilty about skipping out on the show this week to watch the basketball. So I decided, you know what? We haven't taken listener questions in a very long time. So how about one night after the games are over, I do a little bit of Q&A. Well, that's what I decided to do. So I've been taking questions all week on the Voices of Wrestling forums. Also via email, if people wanted to send questions anonymously. A few people sent questions via Twitter. I'll probably forget about those and not ask them. But we're going to do a little Q&A here. I'm shooting for an hour. But as you know, I can never shut the hell up. So I'm sure I'm going to go longer than that. But we'll see. And look, if this show stinks, if this show stinks... It's your fault. Because you're sending the questions. I gave everyone an opportunity to send questions to me all week. Sent out several tweets. So if the questions are no good, it's not on me. It's on you guys. And I'm going to try to make them as entertaining as possible. I'm going to dig in now. See what we got. And answer some questions. But I was open to answer anything. And I wasn't going to skip a thing. Whether it was wrestling related, non-wrestling related... If you wanted to ask me about our various controversies over the years, if you wanted to shake me down for scoops, with a Z, of course. Ask me about sports, ask me for advice. I don't know why you don't ever want to do that. This was your chance. So if the show stinks, if the questions stink, you can't blame me. Okay? That's your fault. So let's jump right into it. Little Voices of Wrestling Q&A. First up, Alan Cunahan, the great Alan 4L. He sent the question via email. You know what's interesting about Alan before I get to the question? I'm going to tell you something interesting about Alan. Like, he has, he's, he's attained in, in, in wrestling circles, okay? He has attained first name status. And what I mean by that is, you can just say to somebody, Hey, you know, did you hear what Alan said? Did you hear the rating that Alan gave such and such match? Did you read Alan's latest musings? Have you, do, 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 you, do, you, uh, do you follow Alan on Twitter? And everybody knows who you're talking about. He has attained first name status in wrestling. Sir. And there's not many people who you can say that about. Who do we have that for? I mean, of course, there's Dave. You say Dave and you're talking wrestling, everyone knows you're talking about Dave Meltzer. He has attained first name status. There's Vince. There's Gabe. And there's Alan. I mean, he's right there with them in terms of first name. Think about it. Think about it. You can't go, oh, did you hear what Joe said? No one knows you're talking about me. You could be talking about me. You could be talking about uh, the great Joe Gagne. You, know, you could be talking about a, a number of different Joes. 
it's always Joe Lanza. But if you just say Allen, that's all you need. That's all you need. The man has attained first name status. It's amazing. I mean, I mean, try that with some other people. Like, uh, hey, uh, did you hear what Mike said? Well, Mike who? Semper Vivi? Johnson? You know, who? Who are you talking about? A lot of Mike's going around. There's only one Allen. I feel bad if your name is Allen and, like, you're a wrestling writer or a pundit or something because there's already an Allen. He's a Reese Allen. You know what I mean? Like, like, it's, you, you just go with a gimmick name. Be one of these guys that goes with a gimmick name. Because Alan is Alan. He's, he, you know. It's like fucking Kanye. Or Madonna. Whatever the fuck. He's Alan. He's right there with them all. The icons. Man, am I giving him a big head. I don't even know if it's possible to give him a big head. He's the humblest guy. Doesn't have any enemies. I mean, how do you not have any enemies doing this wrestling thing? That's that's amazing to me. Everyone hates each other. But this man has no enemies. And he's attained first name status. It, it really is amazing. Alan writes, You mentioned seeing Abushi and Chikara on the last show. I assume that was King of Trios 2009, yeah? What are your memories of the four-way between him, Generico, Nick Jackson, and Jigsaw? One of my favorite spot fests ever. End quote. You know, leave it to Alan, first name uh, status Alan, to drop a very good question for the first question of the show here. Yes, uh, I did cause a bit of a stir on last on the last uh, not last week's uh, not the last flagship podcast that wasn't on that one that was the show I skipped. Rich had a special guest, John Connor, the uh, the rap star. Did the show with Rich this week? They talked a little bit about WrestleMania and a little bit about the uh, Flint water crisis, which John Connor is a uh, big big part of in terms of uh, a lot of the charitable work that's going on in the uh, what they're doing there, what's going on in Flint. The terrible situation with the water. So he had John Connor on. I was not on that show. But the week before, because, you know, Rich is big time. You know, Rich has, you know, you know, he joke about it. That Rich is a name dropper, and he's big time. He's got friends in high places, like John Connor. John Connor has been on the show many times. He, he, he used to come on the show pretty frequently, back 2012, 2013. And uh, Rich brought him back. It's probably been a good two or three years since he's been on the show, but he did the show at Rich this week, filling in for me. But the week before, I gave my path, uh, the shows, my path to greatness to WrestleMania, which I do every year. Um, I didn't give the official path to greatness yet, but I gave my personal path that I'm taking, meaning the shows that I'm going to attend in Dallas. And some people were surprised when I said that I will not be going to the Evolve show that Kota Ibushi is wrestling on. I'm going to the other two Evolve shows, but not the one that Abushi is participating in. And technically, Abushi's wrestling on the WWN Super Show, not the Evolve show. But everybody knows what I mean, the WWN Live events. The reason being and that I gave was that I've seen Abushi live several times already. And WrestleMania weekend is an excellent chance to see wrestlers that you've never seen live. 
particularly wrestlers from other countries who you may not ever have another chance to see live. And you have to take advantage of those opportunities. There's an article on the Voices of Wrestling site right now where the staff goes over their biggest wrestling-related regrets. I did not participate in that because I haven't had time to, to, to you know, take a healthy shit, let alone do any writing lately. But anyone who's listened to the podcast for a number of years knows the story that I always tell. I had an opportunity to see the Samoa Joe Kenta Kabashi match in New York City live, and I blew it off. And it's one of the not just one of the greatest wrestling regrets of my life, but one of my greatest regrets in life, period. Because I'll never have a chance to see uh, Kenta Kobashi wrestle ever again, obviously. He's retired. And if he were ever come out of retirement again, you know, he's not going to be wrestling in College Station, Texas. Let's put it that way. So that's it. I blew my chance. Ever since that moment, I've gone out of my way. When there's legends or semi-legends or wrestlers that I have a chance to see, that I may not have a chance to see again, I go out of my way to make sure I go see them. When Satoshi Kojima was NWA champion and did the rounds in Texas a couple years ago, or a year ago, whatever it was, I made sure I went out and saw Satoshi Kojima live. He's one of my favorite wrestlers, and it, it may have been my only opportunity ever to see that man wrestle live. So I've kind of made it a point, and, and, and I've seen Ibushi wrestle. So that night, I'm going to go to the WrestleCon show instead and see a bunch of luchadors that I may never have a chance to see wrestle live ever again. And also Lance Storm, who I don't believe I've ever seen wrestle live. So, you know, I, I've seen Ibushi. And I'm sure his six-man will be fantastic that night, but I'm going to see the other guys he's in that match with you know, at other points during the weekend as well. So, uh, yeah, I will be skipping it. And again, uh, and, and back to Alan's question, yeah, that's I did see Ibushi at King of Trios 09. I also saw Ibushi wrestle for uh, Ring of Honor around that same time period, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there. So I've seen him wrestle live several times. Alan's question specifically, what are my memories of the four-way between Ibushi, Generico, Nick Jackson, and Jigsaw? Of course, that was night two of King of Trios after Team DDT was eliminated. That was Kota Ibushi, Michael Nakazawa, who is usually his traveling companion when he comes to the United States, and Kudo, who I had forgotten that I saw wrestle live, who has now uh, become a star in DDT since that point in time. So I could check him off the list. They lost to uh, Equinox, Helios, and Lince Dorado in the first round of the King of Trios that year, 2009, which I believe still, I haven't seen them all, but I, you know, of the King of Trios that I've seen, 2009 was the best. I may be biased because I was there live, but to me, that's the best tournament they've ever had. It peaked that year. Night two was Kota Ibushi, El Generico, Jigsaw, and Nick Jackson, a bunch of guys who were eliminated from the tournament. It was a first-round match in the Ray D. Valadores gimmick that they do. And that's the match Alan's uh, asking about. And God, did they tear the house down. I, I'll tell you, Alan, what I thought of that match. I think it's one of the greatest matches I've ever seen in my life. And you know, I don't know how many stars I gave it or if I rated it at all or even if it would. And none of that matters. All I know is for a match of that type, and I think Alan said it best, one of his favorite spot fests ever. I, mine too. And and I, I really think, you know, 
especially in 2009, I mean, you know, we've seen copycat matches of this uh, in, in the ensuing seven years or so. But this was a really just an eye-opening match. And, and it, it's not that, they, you know, four-way spot fest hadn't happened before this or whatnot. But because of the stage this one was on and who was involved, and this was just a special match. It's just, and it's just an awesome match. Just an awesome match. An awesome display of athleticism. And even for people who don't particularly enjoy high spot wrestling, people who can't sit through an entire seven hour PWG card, which my hand is raised, by the way, PWG sometimes is just too overwhelming even for me. And, you know, you got to take a break. I, you know, I'll finish the show tomorrow. I've, I've had enough. I'm tapping out. But even for people who don't like that style of wrestling, you know, every now and then, an awesome spot fest is just a lot of fun. And this may be the best match of that ilk ever. It's just a great match. Four great wrestlers. Kota Ibushi is a great wrestler. El Generico is one of the greats of our time. And we'll talk about him a little more a little later. Jigsaw, very underrated. Maybe not great, but he's very underrated. And a guy who probably hasn't gotten the right breaks. And Nick Jackson, of course, one half of maybe the best tag team of this era. And certainly a guy who knows where to place his high spots. Tremendous match. I highly recommend it to everybody. And I believe it's available free on YouTube on the official Chikara YouTube page. Unless they pulled everything for their streaming service. I don't know. But for years and years and years, it was one of the free matches that they offered on their uh, YouTube page. So if you haven't seen this match, and look, it's like 10 minutes long. That's the other thing. It might be the best like 10 minute match ever. I mean, it's just inc- it's just an incredible match. Filled with action, just a tremendous spot fest. So, I seem to be just as high on that match as Allen. Kota Ibushi, he, he you know, he's some wrestler, but look, I've seen the guy. I'm, you know, I'm going to try to see some other people WrestleMania weekend. On the Voices of Wrestling message board, we've got Shining Wiz checking in with a number of questions. But look, man, I said I'm not skipping a single question, and I'm not skipping any questions. So let's go. I'll answer every one of them. He left five of them here. It says, and I quote, A little true-false, feel free to expound. Number one. Nakamura Zane will be considered disappointing to some degree by the internet wrestling intelligentsia. End quote. Uh, that's true. I do think no matter how good the match is, unless it's a legendary match, which it could be with those two, unless it's a legendary all-time match that's impossible to rip, Of course, there will be internet wrestling intelligentsia who criticize the match. In fact, I think there's probably people frothing at the mouth to criticize the match. Because that's what critics do. Look, when it comes to social media, when it comes to giving opinions, 
the and if you're an opinion giver, if you're a pundit, if you're a, a critic, if you're a reviewer, if you're um, any of those things, if you have a blog, if you have a website, the most interesting takes are the negative ones. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. You got two reviews of the same show. One guy likes the show. The other guy couldn't stand it and rips it to shreds for 1,500 words. They're both equal caliber writers. Which one are you more interested in reading? The guy who ripped it to shreds. For better or worse, negative takes are more interesting than positive takes. And people are more eager to give negative takes than to give positive takes. And, and I'm guilty as charged. I think everybody is. A lot of times, you know, you're live tweeting wrestling or you're watching wrestling and there's a good little match. It's not a great match. It's a good, you don't, you don't say anything. But if something's bad, oh, well, geez, you, you can't wait to get your shovel out. It's just the way it goes. You know, and Zane has not gotten off to a good start on the main roster. Nakamura is a guy coming in from New Japan, and there's certainly a strong anti-New Japan crowd out there on the internet who would love to bury him. So if this match isn't phenomenal to the point where you just come off silly ripping it, where you have to just be an absolute total contrarian, if it's to the point where it's just so good that only the biggest contrarian of contrarians could possibly tear it down, then yes, people are going to be critical of the match. And the fact, I think the bar is pretty high for it, so uh, there's a good chance it is going to disappoint a lot of people. I think the fact that Zayn has gotten off to a slow start on the main roster might, you know, might have tempered expectations for the match a little, which might be good for these guys. Plus, it's Nakamura's first time out in a new company in a very high-profile match. It's WrestleMania weekend. It's the NXT TakeOver show, which has a good chance of being the best show of the weekend. Very good chance. And this is one of the key matches that, if it is the best show of the weekend, this is one of the matches that's going to have to deliver. Along with the main event. I mean, those two matches are going to have to deliver if this is going to be the best show of the weekend, which a lot of people think it can be, including myself. So yeah, I think there there will be people... I, I, I don't think it's going to be an all-time classic match. That's just... I For no other reason than my gut. I think it'll be a, a good match at minimum and a very good match at best. And I do think there will, people who, there will be people who will rip it because that's the nature of the beast. That's how this works. And I do think there are people who are looking forward uh, to ripping it. And, and if they're given the opportunity, they will. Next up from Shining Wiz. Okada will leave New Japan Pro Wrestling sometime in 2016. Again, true or false. And also, I'd like to tie this in from another listener. Give me a chance to find it here. Abrasive Obolinska, I think is his username on the forum. He says, related to Shining Wiz's question... What are your thoughts regarding Okada not signing this big five-year sweetheart deal from New Japan and no comment from him regarding the multi-million yen plan to make him a national superstar in Japan? Do you think he jumps to WWE or somewhere else? Have you heard anything about the situation? So I'll tie those two together since they're very closely related. The answer is no. I don't think he leaves New Japan in 2016. Do I think he leaves New Japan Pro Wrestling in 2017? 
I, I think there's a chance, absolutely. Until he puts his name on that piece of paper, there's absolutely a chance. As I've said on the podcast over the last several weeks, we are in a new era. WWE is flexing their muscles, and anybody worldwide who's halfway decent, WWE is a threat to sign these people away from their current companies if they do not have very strong contracts in place that prevent them from doing so. Anyone in the world that includes Kazuchika Okada. And I have not heard that he has signed this five-year deal that's on the table. Now, he's saying all the right things. The last time, the last quote I saw out of him when someone asked him about it, he said, look, I'm all about New Japan. I'm all about uh, continuing to help New Japan grow. And those are saying all the right things. Those are the things he should be saying. That doesn't mean anything, though. It means absolutely nothing. If you know anything about athletes, if you follow mainstream sports to any degree, that is shit athletes say. Total PR answers from Okada, which is it's just what he should be saying. I'm a team player. I'm here to stay. Now I'm paraphrasing, but I'm a team player. I want to help this, this place grow. Blah, 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 blah. Means nothing until he signs a piece of paper. Nothing. Words mean nothing. Now my gut, do I think he's being genuine? To some degree, yes. But he's got a lot of pals in WWE now. You know, the most, I think, I think, I'll tell you this. I think the most underrated story of of 2015 was Matt Bloom taking over, uh, being in charge of development of the uh, Performance Center, whatever his title is. That is the most underrated and underreported story, really, that wasn't fleshed out enough by the wrestling media, again, Guilty is charged on that one here at Voices of Wrestling as well. Excuse me, I just belched. I don't know if that came through the mic. But that was a huge story because that became uh, their pipeline to Japan. And I'm not sure if AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura, Carl Anderson... Doc Festus Gallows or any of these guys are in WWE today if Matt Bloom isn't in charge. Some of them might be. Some of them might not be. They have a clear pipeline. And I'll tell you what. I know that Juice Robinson's not in New Japan. So, you know, that was a very underreported story. Prince Devitt, throw him in there. Although he came in before the change, I, I believe. But, you know, Bloom now being the top guy, that's a big deal. So the point here is Okada has a lot of people that he knows. I don't know who he's friends with necessarily. I don't know who his pals are. Okay? But if somebody wanted to send feelers to Kazuchika Okada right now, it'd be very easy to do so. Whether through the, an obvious one like Nakamura or through any other number of people. That I just named. 
So the point here is, until his name is on a piece of paper, you know, if he gets an offer out of the blue from WWE and, and it's for a shitload of money and he knows that he has a, a support system in place already there of pals and buddies and guys that he's worked with and, and, and guys he's comfortable with and they're in his ear and they're texting him and they're sending him tweets and they're talking to him on the phone and, and, they're, and they're telling him, hey man, this is fucking great. You should come with us here. I mean, who knows what could happen? He absolutely could end up there. And I think Kadani is very smart in throwing him a five-year deal worth millions and millions of dollars. Very smart. That would be an absolutely crippling loss for New Japan. More so, oh well, I mean, not even in the same stratosphere as AJ Styles or any of the Gaijins. I, I still believe AJ Styles is still... Look, it was a big loss for New Japan. I still think it's overrated in terms of how big of a loss it was for New Japan. I think Kenny Omega has stepped right into that role and he'll he'll continue to grow in that role. It's it's the native guys that hurt the most. Nakamura was was a far bigger loss than AJ Styles, and I think Okada would be a bigger loss than Nakamura. Based on his age and the push that they've given him and everything else. So yeah, that is in play until he signs something. Keep this in mind with Okada, too. This is a guy who, when he became a star in Japan, the Rainmaker thing, it's kind of a shoot. He's bad with money. All of the rumors coming out of Japan is that he he, he has that a little Ric Flair in him where he just, he just blows through his money. This guy likes cash. I mean, we all like cash, but he really likes cash, and he likes spending it. He's not storing it away like Angelo Poffo or uh, Lance Storm. Buying the reports, you know, buying sports cars, and you know, even after he was making real money, the word was he was broke. More from Shining Wiz. New Japan Pro Wrestling will start mixing juniors and heavyweights more this year, letting juniors actually win some. True or false? That's true, and you know that I've heard that directly from people. And we're starting to see a little bit of it. The Young Bucks faced uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and, and Mike Elgin on a New Japan show, uh, you know, just a, a few hours before I'm recording this. So, and, and, and Kushida has said that he's taking part in the G1 this year. And I've had other people tell me that you're going to see more juniors and heavyweights Mixing it up in New Japan this year. In fact, I, 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 if I'm not mistaken, even it was in the Wrestling Observer as well, I believe, that there's been talk of the two tag team divisions either merging or you're going to see the junior teams wrestle the heavyweight teams more. And in fact, we all know who Dave's sources are on that. And they're probably the same sources that I had on that when I heard it. So there's some validity to that. I think you are going to see that. In fact, I've been told directly that you're going to see that. Next up from Shining Wiz, he's got two more true or false. Osprey Kushida will be match of the month for April. I'm going to go false. April is going to be a very competitive month. Well, you know what? How many of the WrestleMania weekend events actually fall in April? That's actually a good question. 
The Friday, Saturday, and Sunday stuff is all. Okay, so most of it, actually. Almost all of it. The only stuff that's in March is the Thursday NWA show, and there's going to be no match of the month contenders on that show. Because even if something is great, it's only going to be me and 300 other dopes that are ever going to see it. So everything else WrestleMania weekend is taking place in April. And I think that there's going to be higher profile matches Mania weekend that get more time. Because the Okada Kushida, I'm sorry, the Osprey Kushida match, or Osprey, however the hell you say his name. I don't pronounce anything properly, you guys know that. And I think somebody was ripping me either for saying Osprey or Osprey. I don't know which one is right. I say them both, one of them's very wrong. But the Osprey Kushida match, I, you know, look, look, where it's positioned on the card, I don't know if it's necessarily going to get a, the necessary amount of time to be a match of the year contender type of match. Now, if it was a best of the Super Junior final or a Super J Cup final or something like that, and they're going to get the 35 minutes that Kushida and Kyle O'Reilly got last June, well, yeah, I think they'd have a good chance, a real good chance of not only being a match of the month, but being a match of the year contender. But no, you know, April's a stacked month, and I, uh, you know, you've got the Invasion Attack card plus everything that's going on WrestleMania weekend. I know, I, I, I will say no, false. That will not be the match of the month. But I'll tell you what, Will Ospreay is going to go out there and do his best to make a tremendous first impression in New Japan. So I do think it'll be a great match. I mean, that guy, Ospreay has great matches by accident. I mean, he's just a great wrestler. And finally, from Shining Wiz, the last true false, the Bulletproof Balor Club is set up, is set up to flop in WWE if they debut at the top of the card after WrestleMania. I think what he's saying is if they show up on Raw the Monday after WrestleMania, will the Balor Club... Let me simplify it. True or false, are they set up to flop? Here's the thing. I'm going to say true. I don't know if they're set up to flop, but as we've seen, NXT does not have the reach to the casual fans that a lot of us in the hardcore bubble think that it does. And any act from NXT has a chance to flop on the main roster. I think to some degree the process of getting over starts all over again when you get on the main roster. Maybe you're not starting completely from scratch, but you're starting almost from scratch. I mean, look at anybody who's come up. I mean, it, it, it's been whether there's been a number of flops, people who have brought their NXT gimmicks to Raw directly and have flopped badly. Whether it's your Adam Roses or your um, Emmas or whoever. Go right down the line. Xavier Woods, when he first came, a total flop. Tyler Breeze. Which, by the way, I called that one. Now look, we all know Vince isn't behind them. But Tyler Breeze was going nowhere with that gimmick. I'm sorry, I've been saying it for a year. He's a talented guy. He needs to break away alter, change, manipulate, uh, total new coat of paint, something. The Tyler Breeze gimmick was not going to work in the current environment. It just wasn't. Great in front of 300 people in full sale. But again, one of those cartoony gimmicks that wasn't going to work on the main roster. At a legitimate level. Just like the Adam Rose cutesy thing and Emma's cutesy little dance. I mean, look, 
there's a small room axe and there's big room axe. Tyler Breeze was a big room act in 1995. It wasn't going to work now. You know, and I was saying that when he was in NXT, and I like him, and I like that act, but I, I just didn't think it was going to work. I mean, I even think if, if, if they gave it a fair shake, it wasn't going to work. The Ascension. Well, those guys just stink. That's a whole different animal. They weren't going to work no matter what, because they're just terrible. But to get back to the question, yeah, I mean, Finn Balor, I think he'll be a success on the main roster. I think he's going to get over. But can it flop? Absolutely it can flop. Even if they do a whole Balor Club thing and he has, you know, absolutely that can flop. But the best place to debut it, obviously, is the Raw after Mania because you got the hardcore fans. And if he comes out, he's going to get an enormous pop. It's the weeks that follow that matter. Will that resonate with the casuals watching at home who have the ticket to the the Raw the next week? That's the key. Rob Reed on the message board wants to know, what is your favorite match that goes past 40 minutes? This is a topical, uh, end quote, this is a topical topic because of the whole 105-minute, you know, CWF Mid-Atlantic match, which, by the way, we talked about that two weeks ago and all the buzz that had. You want to talk about buzz that just completely died. I mean, no one's talking about that match anymore, and no one's talking about CWF Mid-Atlantic. So, as me and Rich suspected, 2,000 views a couple days after that match hit the internet, you know, maybe it didn't have the kind of buzz that we all thought it did. And maybe that was kind of a bubble thing. Yeah, that was only a couple weeks ago, and no one is talking about that promotion anymore, or talking about that match. And relatively speaking, nobody watched the thing. I mean, let's be honest. So anyway, this is a a very topical question. What's my favorite? Because everybody knows I've been pounding his home. Um, I'm not a fan of long singles matches. Never have been. I, I think the sweet spot for a pro wrestling match is about 25 minutes. And you can go a little longer than that and it can still be good. Okay, I just looked it up. I take that back. The uh, The Trevor Leroy Wilkins match now has 11,530 views. That's a lot of views. That is a lot of views. Especially comparatively speaking to the rest of CWF Mid-Atlantic. It has 10 times as many views as their other, you know, highest viewed videos. So I take back the fact that no one has seen it. That's a lot of people. There won't be a single non-New Japan Pearl match that sniffs that amount of views, you know, this year. You know, in, in, in the West. I mean, go look at the, the views on, on the Real Hero uploads. Go look at them. Nothing's going to sniff 11,500. Not even close. I mean, your highest touted Big Japan matches and things like that, like, you know, you're lucky if 500 people watch. You're lucky. So some of these other CWF Mid-Atlantic, oh, here you go, they're... Uh, their Battlecade event that ended last year, which is one of their biggest events of the year, did 1,100 views. So that match did 10 times the number of views of their other uh, big of, of their other videos on YouTube. 
But I will say, no one's talking about it anymore. I mean, the buzz just completely died. And we'll see what people have to say, you know, come match of the year time. It'll get some votes, but we'll, we'll see if that starts up again. But anyway, um, my personal favorite match that goes longer than 40 minutes. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure what Rob meant to ask was a singles match. Because the rules do not apply for battle royals, royal rumbles, elimination matches, things of that. Those can go over 40 and I'm okay with it. Those can be an hour long and I'm okay with it because there's a lot of action. There's a lot of different things going on. And one that immediately springs to mind is the late 2009 Kensuke Office versus Burning 4-on-4 elimination match. I believe that took place it was either in Kensuke Office or Noah. The feud was taking place in both promotions. I don't remember off the top of my head which promotion it took place in. That was a great hour-plus match. But again, that was a four-on-four elimination match with layered storytelling and all sorts of things going on. Constant action, charismatic stars, the whole bit. Singles matches that go over 40 minutes. I got to be honest, off the top of my head, I can't. It would probably have to be, I know a lot of those old Triple Crown title matches went that sort of length in the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, into the mid-90s. It'd probably be one of those. It would probably be one of those. Can't think of one off the top of my head that definitely went past 40 minutes and that I definitely would consider my favorite match of that length. I'll tell you, I, you know, as I've spoken about on many podcasts over the last couple of weeks, including Voices of Wrestling Live with McCarran and the flagship show, I can't think of a 60-minute singles match that I, that I can say that I've liked. There's been a few that I didn't hate, but I can't think of one that I've said, you know, I, I liked that match. I can't think of one. I really can't. Amplified the Rock on the message board asks, why is Hardcore Henry being hailed as a revolutionary film because it's shot in first person when porn has been doing this for at least a decade? End quote. Well, Mr. Amplified the Rock is clearly being silly. I'll say this. I have no interest in Hardcore Henry. I'd be more interested in Hardcore Henry if it was a porn movie. I mean, it just looks terrible. I hate action movies. I just, I can't stand them. I don't like action movies. I never have. Guys shooting at each other, things blowing up, holds no appeal to me. None. I'm, 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 I'm a great movie date for a girl because I don't want to see that shit. And I never fight with them over picking the movie. They'll pick some shitty rom-com and I'll do the gimmick where I act like I'm annoyed. All right, let's go see this lame 90-minute Matthew McConaughey rom-com. Fine, I'll take one for the team. I'll bite the bullet. Thank you. Oh my God, you're so sweet. But meanwhile... I'm okay with that because I don't want to go see the fucking shoot him up. I, I'm not into that. I, you know, I'm bored 10 minutes into those movies. I'll give, you, I'll give you a good example. The Expendables. The gimmick with Randy Couture and Stallone and Schwarzenegger. I mean, that movie is nothing but testosterone, right? You have these testosterone-filled, literally... 
actors, Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, they're all doing HGH. Some of them openly, some of them not so openly. They're all on steroids. They're all these guys who, you know, change their own oil on their cars, you know. Competently install blinds in their house, those kind of guys. And then they're out there shooting people and getting in fights and shooting off witty one-liners as they beat people up and things are exploding and there's fires all over the place and I you know I I've no interest in that none That's what hardcore Henry looks like it's you know this guy running around with a fucking GoPro on his chest shooting people I, I I'm bored already I'm bored watching the 15 second commercial Give me a story. Give me a plot. Give me some good dialogue. That's what I'm into. You know what? You know what kind of movies I'm into? I, I like to sit down with the Netflix, okay? And I look for these little independent movies that were shot on $12,000 budgets about relationships, interpersonal relationships. Not necessarily romantic relationships, but interpersonal relationships. That's what I like. Good stories about people. I'm not into people, you know shooting things. I just, I never have been. So Hardcore Henry looks like shit. As far as first-person porn goes, you know, he's absolutely right. I mean, the whole first-person porn thing, you know. And the reason that took off is because you're living vicariously through the dick. If you're a dude, anyway. You're living vicariously through the dick. On those, you know, those Gonzo videos that are shot from the first-person perspective. That's why they're such big hits. I don't know why they didn't think of that sooner. Well, that style seems to be fading out a little bit, too. I think that peaked like 2006-ish or whatever, and now you're seeing a little bit less and less of that. Strykamura wants to know. This person here wants to know. Uncle Ben versus the Zatarans guy. Who you got? Well, you know, I said I wouldn't skip any question, so I'm asking this, but I have no idea where he's going with this. I really don't. I mean, these are two uh, rice logos, the Uncle Ben's rice and the Zatarans rice. Uncle Ben is sort of a, he's a he's an older black fella. I believe he wears a bow tie in certain incarnations of the character. He's got some gray hair. You know, he's your Uncle Ben, you know? He's been making rice for the family for years. And then there's the Zatarans guy. This is more of a Cajun sort of deal. He's blowing a little horn, I think, on the logo. I don't know if you could see his race. I'm going to assume he's a black dude, too. Just based on the whole gimmick of the Zatarans brand. I don't have a preference. I, you know, I like a nice side dish of rice now and then, but I, I don't know. I really don't have a preference there. Sorry, Strykamura. Cheap Shot wants to know, who was your favorite porn actress from back in the day? From back in the day. Well, you know, back in the day is different for everyone. If you're in your 30s like me, maybe he's referring to the 80s when you first discovered, you know, the porn under your dad's bed or something. But some people, like if your case low back in the day was like 2013. 
know, and for most of the people listening who are probably in their late 20s or mid-20s, back in the day, it would be like the 90s when they discovered porn. The late 90s. I'll tell you how I discovered porn. Like most uh, boys discover porn, I found my dad's stash. He had some VHS porn, three or four videos, stashed behind the bed, behind the, 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 the you know, the head, what's the gimmick, the, uh, you know, the bed frame or whatever, the headrest of the bed, that's where he stashed them. And this was the VHS era, so you know what that meant. As soon as my parents would leave the house, I would make a mad dash to that bedroom, grab the porn, put it in the VCR, but you had to be very careful. The VCRs had little uh, little timers on them at that time, little like uh, like you see in your car now, the little odometer. It was kind of like an odometer. We keep a, a little counter on it, right? So I'd reset that fucker to zero. And I'll explain why in a minute. Anyone my age knows where I'm going with this. So then I play the porn, right? I rub one out. Based on how long I figured my parents would be gone. Okay, so let's say it was their bowling night, which was Sunday night. I knew they were going to be gone for a solid three hours. I knew they would come home exactly 10.30. So I could relax, sit back, find a nice scene masturbate in peace, I know I had to wrap it up by 10.30, for example. So, based on where my parents went or where they're going, I know how much time I have, but it's very important to, to reset that counter on the VCR for the following reason. Once you're done doing what you're doing when you watch the porn, it was very important to rewind that fucking tape right back to the spot that your parents left it, otherwise they would know that you were watching their porn. That's where the counter would come into play. So then you just hit rewind, you wait for that little odometer gimmick to go back to zero, and then you take the tape out. Now some later model VCRs didn't have that little counter on the front. Luckily, my parents still had the old-ass original, probably top-loading VCR that they bought in 1983. Otherwise, you'd have to remember... Where the where you know what scene it was starting on, and then rewind back to that point. It was a very important part of watching your watching your father's porn. It was very important to rewind that shit right back to where he left it. You don't want to get caught. It's very embarrassing to get caught. But you know what would be weird is you'd put the tape in right. Right, Like three weeks later, they'd leave the house again. So you go and you get your dad's porn, you put it back in the VCR, and then you realize it's at a different point in the tape. And now you know what your dad was just whacking it to, which is a little weird. You know, that would freak me out. Like, oh, now I know where he left off. You know, that was a little creepy. But that's what you had to do with the VHS. Now, you DVD kids, you had it easier. If your dad had had DVDs, there's no rewinding, there's no telling. As long as you put back the DVD right exactly where it was, that no one would ever know that you watched it. It'd be impossible to know. With the VHS, though, there was a process involved. 
Now, who was my favorite porn actress from back in the day? Cheap Shot wants to know. I got to tell you, I don't have one. You know, I'm not a, you know, I, I know occasionally I could rattle off the names of some porn stars, just come up to some of the memorable ones, but I don't really have favorite porn stars, and I never really did. So I know that's a boring answer. I can tell you this. Back when I was like 12, 13 and discovering porn, you know, my dad had some old, you know, porn VHS or whatever. The women back then were always very rough. You know, the women now are so much better looking in porn. I mean, it's not even close. It's like night and day. Porn women were terrible in the 80s. Like the late 80s, early 90s porn women. They were a disaster. They all looked like they were in their early to mid 30s with their, you know, their hair had tons of split ends. They were rough looking in the face. They, you know, they had like belly fat. They weren't particularly in great shape. They had like floppy titties. They're like, they're a mess. Your Seikas and your Vanessa Del Rios, all those people, they were not attractive women. Linda Lovelace was not an attractive woman. You know, porn was more... Porn movies then were like actual movies, like with plots and scripts and shit, so it wasn't just about the smut aspect of it, and the women just weren't up to snuff. I mean, they just weren't that great looking. They all looked like they had like four kids and lived in a trailer and smoked three packs of Marlboros a day. That's what they all looked like. They looked like the hottest woman in the trailer park, which is like... You know, a six at best. And you know why they looked like they were 34 years old with four kids from two different fathers and smoked three packs of Marlboros a day? Because they probably really were. That probably really was their lives. You know, people love to rip the old school male porn stars with like their porn froze and their porn stashes, and their awful physiques, and their tube socks pulled up to their knees. And believe me, the dudes were pretty bad. But I think it's very underrated how bad the women were in, like, classic old-school porn. I mean, try to fap to that stuff today after you've been, you know, like, exposed to, like, new wave porn with, like, beautiful women. like, 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 women who were perfect. I mean, good luck with that. You can't go back. It's one of those things where you can't go backwards. You cannot go backwards. Like, go to Pornhub or one of these porn sites and go to, like, the little categories and go to Vintage. Go ahead. Give that a shot. Tell me how that works out for you. You can't fap to that. The women are a mess. They don't have nice asses. They got, like, these flat butts. Their bodies aren't good. It's just, ugh. Action is very boring. Very boring action, too. I mean, it's not even good action. I mean, vintage porn is the pits. It really is. But I tell you, man, when I was, you know, young and full of hormones and, you know, it didn't matter, like, any kind of... Because it wasn't accessible back then, either. I mean, now we're just so desensitized because we've got... You know, anything at, at our fingertips, any kind of fetish, any kind of, you know, gorgeous women, and no matter what it is, it's right there for us. It's right on our fucking phones if you if you want it bad enough. I mean, come on. Back then, your dad had, 
two VHS tapes to choose from. And if you got stuck with Vanessa Del Rio, well, that's the luck, man. That's it. That's all you had. And it was titillating no matter what. You know, if your dad kept a Playboy or a penthouse, like, you know, in the cabinet, in the bathroom, underneath, you know, the soap, and you you found that, that was like finding gold. And what was that? That was just naked women. Are you kidding me? I can't even get a half chub looking at a, a Playboy spread these days. Are you kidding me? Well, that escalated quickly, but hey, you guys are the ones asking the questions, okay? If you don't ask me about porn, I can't talk about it. Armbar Ospreay wants to know. He has several questions. Number one, who do you think from the Evolve roster can make the biggest splash in WWE? Well, I decided to, this is how we're going to approach this one. I'm recording this in the wee hours of the 20th of March, and Evolve just had a show on the 19th in New York City. Let's go right down the card. I'll evaluate everybody for you. Team Tremendous, Bill Carr and Dan Barry. I don't think they have any sort of future in WWE. Bill Carr was there once before. I don't think much of Dan Barry. Um, I don't think much of that tag team, actually, Team Tremendous. Um, Could they go to NXT and get over? Sure. Could either one of them be stars in the WWE? I mean, come on, not a chance. Anthony Nice, who will probably be coming to WWE events near you very soon, whether it be in the... uh, Of course, um, he was the very first name that came across my desk as someone who was as confirmed as confirmed could be for the WWE Cruiserweight show. So there's a good chance you'll be seeing him on the award-winning WWE Network soon. Do I think Anthony Nice can be a star in WWE? He's probably too small. I think he has a great look, but he's probably too small. But could he catch on? Sure. I think he could catch on. Caleb Conley? Mm, Not seeing it. Timothy Thatcher? Okay. I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say this now because it's probably over a year old. But Timothy Thatcher turned down a WWE, uh, an opportunity to go to WWE. I don't recall whether it was a tryout or or an offer, but he said no. Timothy Thatcher is a strange, strange person. He's an odd dude. He's very talented. Uh, contrary to what many people think, I don't hate him. He had several matches last WrestleMania weekend that I enjoyed. I'm just not as high on him as others are. His style does great on me a bit. It does get a bit boring, but he's very talented in what he does. And he's a guy who I could see why WWE would be interested. Could he make a splash? I, He's a tough one to tell. He would definitely have to change his style to some degree. That's not going to fly on Monday nights. You know, grapple fuck is not going to fly on Monday nights. Is he talented enough to adjust? Probably. I think that he shows good fire in his matches. There's things there that he can work with. 
And the fact that they, they were interested in him at one point shows that they agree. Matt Riddle. Now, here's the guy who everyone thinks is the big-time hot prospect. I'll tell you. I haven't seen much of Matt Riddle. I saw one Evolve match, and I saw some of his Monster Factory stuff, which really isn't fair to judge on because we're talking his very first professional matches when you're talking Monster Factory. And I have to tell you, I have not been that impressed with him. I'm probably the only person you'll hear say that. I see the potential. There's obvious potential. And look, he's been wrestling for 10 minutes. I haven't, he's not even close to being ready. I could see why WWE may have sort of sent him to their double A portion of their farm system, which is what Evolve really is. Because he is someone who I think has long-term possibilities. And of the guys I mentioned, I'd put him ahead of everyone with the possible exception of Thatcher. But I think he, you know, it's, it's a tricky deal. He may have the higher ceiling. And everyone else seems to think that he does. But I'm going to get to a guy who I think, um, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, Johnny Gargano. Well, we've seen him in WWE already. And he, he clearly has, um, I, I think there's definitely a place for him in that company if they will have him. He's done very well for himself. But again, size is a huge issue for him. A huge issue. Size is not the barrier it once was, but he's very small. When you're very small, it's still a kind of, you know, I mean, he's really small. Is he of WWE caliber? Absolutely. Can he make a big splash like the question asked? Probably not. Zack Sabre Jr. Probably going to win the WWE Cruiserweight gimmick this summer, and he's probably going to be with the company sooner than later. Of the people I've named, he'd be right at the top of the list. He's, you know, obviously far more seasoned and much more... He's a a finished product for the most part. He would just have to find some personality. In the ring, he's a finished product is what I mean. He'd still have to find a personality and where he'd fit in gimmick-wise and all those sorts of things. But he's a finished product in the ring far more than a guy like Riddle. Obviously. I mean, that's obvious. I don't need to tell people that. Chris Hero, we'll get to him in a minute because he's in a, he, someone else asked about him. Tracy Williams. Okay, now, Tracy Williams is a guy who I think he might have more potential than a Thatcher because I think Tracy Williams, uh, you know, working with Chikara for all those years has more exposure to sort of the uh, character side of pro wrestling and, 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 and working programs and things of that nature and understanding how to work an effective program. He might be ahead of Thatcher in that regard. Thatcher is a guy who just wants to get in the ring and grapple fuck people. And I feel like he enjoys what he does, and it, it, it's, it's, it's as much of a hobby as it is a job for him, whereas I think Tracy Williams understands wrestling a little better just by the nature of the places that he's worked and the things that he's done a lot of different things. He's worked with the mask, obviously. Obviously, we know that. Um, you know, and, and, you know, he's, he's a guy who, who's, who may be better than Thatcher overall, you know, anyway, depending on what your opinion is, because he's more well-rounded perhaps. So he's a guy who, you know, I'd put near the top of the list, but again, not someone who I, I'm saying, wow, you know, WWE's got to get their hands on him. Sammy Callahan. Well, he flamed out already and my opinions on him are well-known. I think he's vastly overrated. 
I really do. I just think there's something with him that's just cringy. He just, uh, he gives me douche chills watching it. He just, I don't know. I don't like him. What are you going to do? You don't, you know, sometimes you don't like a guy. Well, you know, what are you going to do? I'm sure he's a swell dude. I just, I don't like watching him wrestle. TJ Perkins, again, in terms of being ready, I mean, of course he's ready. Put him on Raw tomorrow, he'd do just fine between the ropes. The biggest problem with TJ Perkins is he would say something stupid on Twitter. He'd put his foot in his mouth, and he's stubborn when it comes to those things. He would, my my advice to TJ Perkins, okay, would be if WWE was interested in him and wanted to sign him and he signed a deal, would be to delete all of his social media and never go back. Because he's the kind of guy who will say something stupid. Especially in this age where, you know, um, extreme social justice liberal types, the extreme ones now, are looking for reasons to take people down. TJ Perkins would eventually give them a reason to take him down. My advice to him would be delete your Twitter, delete your Ask FM gimmick where you talk about you know banging women all the time and everything else. Delete your Instagram, get rid of it all. The weird borderline men's rights activist stuff, I mean, it would all have to stop. And with him, I don't know if his ego would allow him to do so. I, do, I don't know. He seems like a pretty proud guy. And my advice to him would be get rid of all that stuff because he's the kind of guy who would self-destruct and do something stupid on social media. As far as talent goes, he's he might be the most talented guy I've named yet on this entire list. Between the ropes. Can he cut a promo? I mean, no. I've, I've Have you ever heard of TJ Perkins' promo that was a great promo? I know I haven't. Feel free to enlighten me to one if you if 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 you you know if you've got one. But then again, when has he ever been asked? And is that a chicken or an egg thing? In Mexico and Japan, he's not going to cut promos. In TNA, half the time he was working under the mask, or most of the time, whether it was Puma in the early days, or manic slash suicide, whatever in, in the later days, he hasn't been asked to do a lot of promo. Maybe he has promo ability that no one has tapped into yet. Or it could be the fact that everyone knows he's not good at promos, so he's never asked to cut them. I don't know. Does he know how to wrestle, though? That guy will... He, you bet your, he can fucking wrestle, that guy. He's good. And he can work any style. He can work any style. He is a great... And the word great is thrown around a lot. TJ Perkins is a great pro wrestler. He's great. Ethan Page, he's got the size, he's got the personality, I can see WWE being interested in an Ethan Page at some point, absolutely, I'm not his biggest fan, I think he's a mediocre wrestler, but he has all the other tools, he's sort of the opposite of your Timothy Thatcher's and your Tracy Williams, and your TJ Perkins to some extent. And the guy that has the best combination of all of that is Johnny Gargano. He can cut the promo. He can wrestle. He's proven he can wrestle in WWE. The problem is the size with Gargano. If Gargano was six foot tall, 
he would very easily be at the top of my list of all of these people I've named. Very easily. He'd be well ahead of the pack if he was six foot tall. It seems like all these guys are missing one thing. Gargano, it's the size. TJ Perkins, it's the promos. Uh, Timothy Thatcher, it's any sort of personality beyond I'm fired up and angry and I'm going to beat you up. Um, which would play better in Japan than it does here. Um, it, it, you know, he, he would need a Paul Heyman or something to do his talking and, and to provide his personality. Tracy Williams, you know, it seems like that's what he's missing as well. They're all missing one thing, whether it's size, uh, the wrestling in Ethan Page's case, or, or the personality in most of these cases. Drew Gulak, again, I find him dry as sand between the ropes. I just do. And I think he would have to adjust that style if he were to go to WWE. Is he good enough to do that? Maybe he is. If you could combine Drew Gulak with his buddy Chuck Taylor, you'd have a guy who can go anywhere in WWE, who'd be a, who could be an enormous star in WWE if they were one person. And I saved this guy for last specifically. Fred Yehai. And I have no idea if I'm saying his name correctly. Yehai, Yehi. Fred Yehai. I love this guy. And I think he would really have a chance to do something in that company if he spent some time in that performance center and refined some things. Now, I hear he's kind of a wacky personality in real life. I don't know if there's validity to that, but I hear he's kind of a strange, you know, bird. An odd duck. But man, is this guy talented. And boy, does his shit come off realistic looking. I mean, when I watch this guy wrestle, I feel like he, he, you know, he makes it feel real. I mean, he really has that ability. And that a lot of people don't have these days. That's kind of a lost art. He makes it feel real. Which is why the match he had with, with Carino's kid a couple of months ago, which people were raving about, I didn't think it was such a great match because I could not take Carino seriously against this guy. Carino weighs 80 pounds soaking wet and he's striking with this guy and I'm like, get the fuck out this. Come on. I know it's pro wrestling. I couldn't suspend my disbelief. Part of it was Carino doesn't look like he can beat anybody up. And part of it was because Yehai is a fucking monster. The guy's a monster. I mean, those weren't my only problems with that match. I thought Yehai outworked Carino severely. I thought Carino was so outclassed in that match that I have a hard time calling that match good because Carino just couldn't keep up with the guy. And I thought Yehai just gave Carino too much. It was like a man fighting a child. And it was unrealistic how much he was giving him. And really, it was, and the story was Yehai really dominating the match, but I still thought he gave him too much for my liking. It just didn't work for me. The match didn't work for me. I know some people really liked it. I, I, I no. But Yehai, I think, is a guy to keep really keep an eye on as far as guys on the Evolve roster. Second question from Armbrar Ospreay. Do you think WWE should stop making their big stars in the Cena archetype 
then instead just make them instead into the Austin kick-ass babyface archetype, end quote. Uh, yes, we've talked about this at length on the podcast. The world is changing. The type of um, uh, people that people uh, will relate to has changed. And um, I do think they need to change that a bit. Um, and, and, and yes, I do think uh, it's time to go back to the ass kicker, the no-nonsense ass kickers. Yes, I do believe that. Um, next question. Who do you think have the best promotions in the world as in terms of storytelling, listen, I'm reading these verbatim, okay? Uh, what he's asking is, what promotions do the best job in terms of storytelling? Uh, Dragon Gate, far and away, has the best storytelling and the best booking in wrestling. I don't even think it's close, actually. I think they're number one. I think the next closest is number three. Um, look, for all of the abuse that they take, and I, I think a lot of it is because they're followed so closely by people... And like I talked about earlier in this podcast, people are naturally negative when it comes to critiquing wrestling. Wrestling fans are negative, grumpy people. I mean, they just are. I think New Japan's booking is very solid and it's very logical and they do a very nice job. The problem with New Japan is it gets a little stagnant and a little boring at times. But it's it's always pretty logical and it always moves uh, long term and, and the top of the card stuff is always very good. So... Uh, I, I like New Japan storytelling as far as I think Lucha Underground does a tremendous job in terms of making everything make sense and with the storytelling that they do. It doesn't happen to be for me. I don't like wrestlers eating people. I don't like monsters. I don't like wrestlers that fly. I don't like the supernatural stuff. I don't like magic rocks. I don't like pretending people are dead Aztecs who rose from the grave. I'm not in any of that. But for what they're doing, like for what they're doing, the lane that they're in, I think they do a tremendous job. Season one of Lucha Underground was very well booked, including that that Lucha Rumble or whatever the hell they call it, the Aztec Rumble. That thing was the best booked Rumble style match I think I've ever seen. Everything in it made sense. Everything, literally every elimination, made sense on some level and either advanced the story or did something uh, story. I mean, it's a very well booked promotion. They do a good job with their storytelling, even if it's not for me. I have to be fair. And season two of that show has just lost me. I don't even watch it anymore. It just piles up on my DVR. The flips can't even save that show for me anymore. It's just gotten so ridiculous. It's just not for me. You know, when when their uh, Ultima Lucha season comes around, look, I'll be into it. And we'll review it on the show and all that. I'll be into the Ultima Lucha. But on a week-by-week basis, I, I can't anymore. I just can't. It's not a show for me. And I know people say, well, it's a, it's not a wrestling show. It's a TV show about wrestling. Okay, well, I disagree with that. But even if that's true, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that, though. It's a shitty TV show. Just as a standalone TV show, I think it stinks. The acting is horrendous. The stories are just this supernatural bullshit that I can't get into. It's a crappy TV show. Even if you want to take that argument. Now, if, it, if that stuff is for you, great. I think it's crap. I don't know why I'm bashing Lucha Underground all of a sudden. Look, I look here, here's the thing about Lucha Underground, though. Even though it, I don't like it all that much anymore, I think it's great that it exists. I, I do think it's great that it exists, and I do think it's a great alternative. I think it's it's good that they're doing you know breaking that hundred thousand you know they're 
I don't know how long they're going to last. I don't know what their budget is. They're doing over 100,000 viewers every week, which is great. And I, I think it's great that that alternative exists, and it's great that, that uh, some of these AAA guys are getting exposure. And we've seen that trickle to where these guys are getting booked on the NDC now. They're making names for themselves. They're making money. All that stuff is awesome. I think Lucha Underground is great for the wrestling business, even if I don't like it. So yeah, I'll give you Dragon Gate, New Japan, and Lucha Underground in terms of uh, storytelling for the promotions that I follow closely. Armbar, Armbar Osprey has one more question. What is important in wrestling today, wrestling or characters? It's always been characters. It's always been the characters and characters connecting and resonating with people. It has always been that and it will always be that over the wrestling. Now, we do a nerd podcast, and we're in the nerd bubble, and we like our great wrestling. And no one more than me likes their great wrestling. But in terms of what's more important in the wrestling business, it's always the characters. KC St. Louis Chicago on the message board asks, and you all know this guy. He's on the Observer board. He's on our board. I think he's on the Twitter machine. I can't remember. K-C-S-T-L-C-H-I, K-C, St. Louis, Chicago. When I mentally read his name, I think K-C, St. Louis, Chicago. He wants to know, thoughts on all of these new Oreo flavors? You know, I got to tell you, I don't even know what they are, but I know that I hate them. When I sit down to enjoy an Oreo... I don't want a Chikara Oreo. I just want the standard fucking Oreo. The black cookie outside and the fucking white creamy gimmick in the middle. That's all I want. I don't want double stuff. I don't want strawberry flavor. I don't want mint flavor. I don't want fucking fire ant flavor or, uh, you know, fucking... uh, Missile Assault Ant flavor or fucking Heidi Loveless flavor. No. Give me a fucking the standard Oreo in the standard blue pack. You rip it open. You enjoy the cookie. Maybe you want to twist it open and and lick the cream off. Maybe you want to dip it in milk. That's okay. I don't want any gimmicks. I, I No gimmick Oreos, please. I can't do Chikara Oreos. I don't even know what he's talking about here. They must be having... I know there was a birthday cake Oreo out there for a while, which people told me was hideous and it was disgusting, which I'm not surprised by. I, you know, I don't like the Chikara M&Ms. I told you guys that nightmare I had at the supermarket. I went there, I, did, I had a hankering for some M&Ms. I go to the store to buy some M&Ms. A supermarket now. I go to the candy aisle and they have every kind of M&M under the sun except the standard milk chocolate M&M. I was so annoyed by that. Peanuts, almonds, uh, fucking pretzels, peanut butter, uh, all kinds of fucking Chikara bullshit, but not the standard M&M. I couldn't stay. I just want M&M's. It's the same thing here. I just want an Oreo, man. I don't. I don't need the gimmicks. I don't know what they are, but I hate them. I don't even know what these new flavors are, but they fucking suck. I can guarantee you that. Griggsy wants to know. Griggsy's a Pittsburgh guy, and he's a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. 
and we banter a little bit during the baseball season. He wants to know, as of today, who would you put money on to win the G1 Climax this year? Excellent question, Griggsy. I will tell you that if I had to put money on it today, I would put money on Tetsuya Naito, the winner of the New Japan Cup. This is the year where they need to give Tetsuya Naito his big push. He's won the New Japan Cup. He's selling merch like crazy on the New Japan shop site. So fuck it. Go all the way with this guy and have him win the G1 too. I don't think he's going to win the title in Invasion Attack. I wouldn't even have done the match that soon. I can't kill them if he wins the title in Invasion Attack. I just don't think he will yet. I'll tell you what. Here's the answer I'll give you. I'll cheat. If Okada's still champion going into G1, Naito's winning. If Naito is champion, Okada's winning the G1. How about that? How about that for an answer? Because I think they're doing Okada, Naito in the Tokyo Dome. I think that's your Tokyo Dome, Wrestle Kingdom 10, or is it 11? Whatever year they're on. That's going to be your Tokyo Dome main event, January 4th, 2017. 2017! Fuck, that sounds weird. We're all going to die soon, you know that? We're all getting old. It's 2017 already. Wrestling companies are booking towards the year 2017. That sounds so futuristic and wacky to me. It feels like it was 1998, fucking yesterday. Stone Cold and The Rock. It's 2017. We're all going to die. You know, I remember when I was like in 8th grade, I'd be like, eh, I wonder what I'm going to be doing like in 2020. It seemed like it was a million miles away. That's like three years from now. The year 2020 is like three years from now. I remember when I was a kid and the first athlete signed a contract that took it, that, that, that took it to the year 2000. Like someone signed an eight-year contract in 1992. Oh, he signed through the year 2000. I was, whoa, I was freaked out by that. He's going to be on that team forever. That was 17 years ago. Every day we wake up, we're one day closer to meeting the Reaper, man. It's terrifying. I don't know how you people deal with it. I'm so terrified of death. La Parca's right around the corner for every one of us. He's waiting there with that fucking chair and he's dancing and he's ready. Hopefully the Grim Reaper looks like La Parca and not like the Grim Reaper that we all know, you know, like with the cloak and the fucking the Watanabe evil gimmick, like the fucking sickle, right? Hopefully it looks like La Parca. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. That's the chairman of the board. I can, all right, I get it. I'll go with him. Maybe he'll have a cool match with someone. Or more likely, Kevin Nash will come down and interfere. The Low End Theory wants to know which teams will make up the Final Four and who wins. To be fair to him, he asked this before the tournament started. I can't give an answer now because I'm recording this in the middle of the thing and we've already determined half of the Sweet 16, so I'm not going to be a fraud and give him an answer. I will tell you the two big upsets that I, on Selection Sunday, and you can go back on the at Joam Lanza Twitter feed, the two big upsets that I called on Selection Sunday, time-stamped, okay, were Arkansas Little Rock over Purdue and Hawaii over Cal. 
I called those on Selection Sunday. So I'm proud of those. I nailed those two. When I saw those matchups come up, I thought Purdue was a great matchup for Arkansas Little Rock, who had beaten San Diego State earlier this year. They were a good team. So I called that one. And Hawaii has been a team, if you follow me, who I've been on all year long. I stay up and watch their games in the middle of the night. Hawaii is a very good team. I don't care that Cal didn't have their point guard. I don't care that they're having problems with uh, the assistant coach that got fired for sexual harassment. I thought they were going to beat Cal on Selection Sunday before any of that stuff happened. Hawaii is legit. Those were not flukes. And I got the timestamps on those. So I want to pat myself on the back for those. Now in November, I can tell you that there were uh, three teams that I was very impressed with that I thought were dark horses for the Final Four. One was Butler. They've been knocked out of the tournament already. One was Vanderbilt. They barely got in the tournament, and they got knocked out already. And the other was Miami. Miami's in the Sweet 16 as of this recording. They might be eliminated by the time you hear this, or they might be on their way to the Final Four. Those three teams impressed me greatly back in November, and they were my dark horse picks for the Final Four. But I'm not going to give you my Final Four picks. I'm not going to tell you what I have, because it's like I'm going to, I don't want to do that because the tournament is almost half over by the time I'm recording this, so that's not fair. But to be fair, he asked this question on Wednesday before it started, so um, sorry about that. He has another question here. Quote, would you like to see WWE bring back the brand split? Why or why not? End quote. I would like to see that. I don't know if it would be the best thing they can do for business. Personally, from an entertainment standpoint, I would like to see the brand split. I would. I would enjoy that. I've long been a proponent that not everyone needs to be on TV every week. I've always said that. Let people miss miss some of the stars sometimes. You know what I mean? The original intent of the brand split was good. It's just, it, you know, it got somewhere, it just it all got screwed up. From an entertainment standpoint, though, I would prefer to see that, yes. His third question, quote, will pro wrestling Noah survive the rest of the year? End quote. Yes, it will, because it's being supported by uh, Bushi Road now. So I, you know, if Noah was still its own entity, with the way that the attendance has dropped on the house shows and all that, they'd be in deep trouble. They'd be in deep trouble right there with All Japan, which may not make it to the end of the year. The difference is All Japan is not being subsidized and, and, and controlled by Bushi Road, and Bushi Road is subsidizing and controlling Noah. And it will survive as long as Bushi Road wants it to survive. So, yeah, I do think they'll make it to the end of the year. Now, the house show attendance is, is it continues to drop to embarrassing levels, but somehow they keep drawing for their big shows. So they, you know, that tells me that they're running off the old fans, but they maybe are creating some new ones that are coming to the bigger show. It's just the rank-and-file house shows are just dying a death. They're just dying an absolute death. I mean, they're getting outdrawn by promotions like Tradition, and other little teeny tiny indies that run the same buildings. And it's embarrassing. It's very embarrassing. And I can tell you from people who wrestle there, who you know I conversate with, they, it's embarrassing for them to work in front of crowds like that. Supersonic, one of the many people who I'm hopefully meeting up with in Dallas, 
so many people want to meet in Dallas. I've actually been overwhelmed. It, it, it's it, it you know I've got it's in Texas, so I got I'm meeting up with a ton of friends there. There's listeners to the show. There's people I've talked to for years on the internet. I mean, I got so much stuff planned for Dallas. I mean, I'm going to wrestling wall to wall. I'm not one of these guys that goes to conventions or fucking goes to see Jim Ross or fucking hobnobs. Fuck that shit. I'm going to WrestleMania weekend. I'm seeing some wrestling. So I'm going to wall-to-wall shows Thursday through Saturday. I'm going to drive home Saturday. I'm not going to Mania on Sunday. Okay, thought about sticking around for that indie show after WrestleMania, but I just can't do it. I got to get home. I got to be home by Sunday morning. But Thursday through Saturday, wall-to-wall shows, baby. Nothing but wrestling. And hopefully, you know, I've already talked to some people. I've figured out what shows people are going to. I'm going to run into some people. I'm going to meet some people, hang out at the shows with friends, listeners. Hopefully catch, you know, I'm trying to set up you know, uh, who I'm going to eat dinner with on each other. It's getting crazy, man. But Supersonic is one of these guys who I've talked to privately, and hopefully we're going to meet up. But anyway, he's got some questions here. Number one, how would you like to see Chris Hero? I'm sorry, I totally botched that. Quote, how likely do you see Chris Hero getting another chance with WWE in the future since he's an Evolve regular? End quote. This is why I saved the Chris Hero talk from the other, from the other question, because I knew that there was another Chris Hero question here. Look, in wrestling, you never say never. My gut tells me he will not be back. I have nothing to base that on other than my own instincts. I don't think he'll be back. I think there's more than meets the eye with his odd dismissal from the company. I think there's a lot of stuff out there with the weight gain. and all. Look, I think there's more than meets the eye. I do not think he'll be back. Now, do I think whatever happened can be reconciled and both sides can change their minds or whatever. Yes, of course, it's pro wrestling. I mean, come on. But my gut tells me no. Quote, in the past year and a half, which potential and or planned WWE main eventer, that which wasn't capitalized on, do you find most damning? Options include Rusev, Sheamus, Dean Ambrose, Dolph Ziggler, and Kevin Owens. Okay. It's not Sheamus. I don't think Sheamus has any top star potential. I think Sheamus is an upper mid-carder. I think he's Hiroki Goto. I think he's Razor Ramon. I think he's just a guy whose ceiling is knocking on the door of the main event scene. And that's fine. Everyone ha- you know, th- Those are great guys to have on a roster. A guy who you can throw into the main event mix every now and then, but you know that you can't really give them the ball. That's Sheamus. He's missing something. Some guys just don't have it. But he's a great guy to have on the roster, and he's your classic upper mid-card dude. And there's nothing wrong with that. So my answer would not be Sheamus. My answer is not Dolph Ziggler, because I think the ship sailed on him a long time ago. I think at one point in time, if you ask me this question in a different year, my answer may have been Dolph Ziggler. He's always been a guy who's been over more than the level of his push. I mean, the guy still comes out and gets cheers, which is crazy with the way he's been treated and 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 the uh, the slow decline of his performances as well. You used to always be able to depend on his performances. Not anymore. Not anymore. And I think the ship has sailed on ever um, pushing that guy seriously all the way to the top ever again. And certainly in the past year and a half, he would not be my pick either. So now we're down to Rusev, Dean Ambrose, and Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens I'm going to eliminate because I think the jury's still out, and I think they're still doing an excellent job protecting him 
and 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 keeping him in that upper mid card mix, and he is a guy who I think that they can capitalize on at some point. I don't think his time is now, though. I think right now with this Roman Reigns mess and this Triple H thing, and I don't know if you want to be in the main event mix right now if you're Kevin Owens. I don't know if you do. I think maybe it's okay to lay low right now and 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 just continue doing what you're doing and 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 getting over as a heel and setting up the potential babyface turn at some point down the line and and then go from there. I don't think his time is now, and I I think he's one of the few guys that they haven't really mangled with awful booking. So no, I I don't think that um, he's someone who they haven't capitalized on that I find damning. I would eliminate him. So we're down to Rusev and Ambrose. Ambrose, I think they did a terrible job with, and they managed to rehab him in recent weeks. He's certainly a contender, though, because there was a point in time. They had a window with him, man. But the problem was it was was reigns or bust. And boy, did that bust. And Rusev, I think, again, you know, that was a guy who I badly wanted to see wrestle Brock Lesnar. And the the thing with Rusev, though, is I don't know if there's babyface potential there. I think he's a guy who could be a top heel for a long time. He's a tremendous wrestler, great worker, great character, all of those things. He's wasting away in the in the awful League of Nations right now. The whole love triangle thing was terrible, or love rectangle, if you want to throw Dolph Ziggler in the mix. That was a big mess. Didn't do him any favors. League of Nations isn't doing him any favors, but I don't think they've completely destroyed him. So it's either him or Ambrose. I, I'm going to go with Ambrose, though, as the most egregious because he's a guy who I think there was a window where they could have made him a legitimate top babyface potential drawing star, and they didn't run with it because it was all about Roman. Whereas Rusev, I think he, you know, he, 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 I, I'm not sure if there was any babe, top, top babyface potential there. At least not yet. He's still a baby too in the in the industry, really. Next question from Supersonic Quote. Should we be concerned about Sami Zayn's main roster career considering it hasn't come anywhere close to starting as hot as The Shield and Owens did? End close. The answer is yes, we should be concerned. For similar reasons that I gave before. Anyone who comes up from NXT... Yes, if they're not getting over, immediately you should be concerned. Because Vince is going to tire of them quickly. That's been the pattern. But this idea that Vince McMahon is out to sabotage anyone that comes from NXT is complete, utter, and total bullshit. First of all, for the two examples that Supersonic gave, The Shield and Kevin Owens. They weren't sabotaged at all. They got over right away, and Vince continues to push them. Vince loves Strowman. Continues to push him. So there's examples of guys coming from NXT that he likes. I mean, look at it. The girls are doing great. After a very rocky start. So this, you know, the whole uh, the conspiracy nonsense and, you know, the push-pull and, and the, the stuff going on, you know, I Vince hates NXT. Well, I mean, I just gave you almost a half a dozen examples of people from NXT that they're pushing and that they like. So I find that to be bullshit. 
Look at the top matches at WrestleMania, and they're littered with NXT talent. But if you get off to a rough start, he will give up on you. But that, I mean, that has nothing to do... I mean, he'll give up on anyone who gets off the rough. But, but, you know, we've seen NXT people get off to a rough start and be given up on. So, yeah, Zayn, this is concerning. The difference with Zayn is he, he is getting good crowd reactions. And this, when he interacts with Kevin Owens, it gets good crowd reactions. You know, it's a little troublesome that they had him on main event or superstars or whatever it was last week. That's not good. Superstars, you can you can forget it. That's the kiss of death. Main event, you can survive. I think he was on main event. But that means you're only one step away from superstars, which is the kiss of death. When you're wrestling Zack Ryder on superstars, that that's when you're better off saying, hey, can I go back to NXT and work on some things? That's when you want to pull an Emma and, and go backwards. That's done wonders for her. Excuse me. My throat was getting dry. I know it's rude to drink on the air, but I'm about to lose my voice here. Last one from Supersonic, quote, Who do you foresee next year being positioned in a more important position for his company's respective granddaddy of them all? Dean Ambrose at Mania 33 or Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 11? End quote. Kenny Omega is my answer. I will put an asterisk on that one. I don't feel like they're going to go all the way with Dean. I think they see Dean as an upper mid-carder in the same way that I see Sheamus as one. Whether it's because he, you know, doesn't look impressive enough physically to titillate the uh, homoerotic tendencies of Vince McMahon, or whether it's because they just think he's lacking something else, I don't know. But I don't think they're truly going to go all the way with him, whereas New Japan is clearly going all the way with Kenny Omega. And it is not outside the realm of possibility that my prediction of Okada Naito is wrong, and it ends up being Kenny Omega versus Okada, or, or something. That, that wouldn't shock me at all. Where Kenny Omega wins the G1. Wouldn't shock me at all. Here's the asterisk that I put on that, though. It is very clear to me that Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks are angling for a WWE deal. Very clear. It is not accidental that they're already working a feud with New Day. They want in with the rest of their buddies. Kenny Omega has turned them down several times over the last couple of years. Still bitter about the Bill DeMott thing and eager to get over in New Japan and he probably likes living in Japan, or he does like living in Japan. and But now he sees all of his buddies going over there, and he sees WWE. He sees Bill DeMott long gone, and that whole era of when he was there is long over. All the guys he was in developmental with are either long gone from the company or have been on the main roster for years at this point. And he probably sees a completely different landscape, so his outlook has changed. The Young Bucks made the decision to re-sign with Ring of Honor in New Japan, And it was only a few months 
before the entire landscape had changed. Or they'd probably be in WWE today. And I'm sure that they regret that decision to go back to Ring of Honor and New Japan because they could be in WWE right now. Where it wasn't the place to be the last few years when they were turning down their opportunity. Now it's the place to be. So if Kenny Omega, you know, New Japan's going to be careful here. They're going to be careful at the end of every year now with these guys when they're not sure whether they're going to resign or not. Okay? So if Kenny Omega doesn't assure them that he's going to be back around or put his name on a piece of paper, maybe he doesn't get that big push. So that's where I would give some pause to that. They clearly want to be in WWE. The elite. And they're angling for that already. MLev76 asks, Is your Northeast upbringing a help or hindrance to your life in Texas? How many times a week are you called a Yankee? I'm not called a Yankee on a weekly basis, but I've been called a Yankee, you know, in jest by many people in my seven years here. It's getting to the point, I've been here, it'll be seven years in April. I'm pretty much ingrained here now. I'm not the new guy in town anymore when it comes to being in Texas. I've been here a while now. But, you know, my accent and the way I talk and, you know, I, I still get called the Yankee from time to time, yes. Um, there's things in Texas I like. There's things in Texas I can't stand. What I miss the most from the Northeast is the food. Without question, it's the food. I haven't had a good slice of pizza ugh, or some good Italian food in so long. You know, and, and, and Texas food is all right. You know, the Tex-Mex stuff and the barbecue, it's all right. But, uh, man, I grew up on, on a whole different fucking menu. You know what I'm saying? So it's the food that I miss the most. The women, look, you know, a lot of women want nothing to do with me because I'm not Southern, I'm not Texan. But on the flip side of that, anything different can be an advantage with other women, with other kinds. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so you know how women love like foreign accents, like women love like British accents and Australian accents. It's because it's different, right? Those aren't good accents. I mean, they, they sound utterly ridiculous. I mean, British accents sound utterly ridiculous. Australian accents sound completely stupid. Okay? Women like that stuff because it's different and it's exotic. So sometimes I'll meet women here. And because I, I don't have a Texas accent, and I'm not wearing fucking boots, and I don't have a big fucking belt buckle, you know, I got sort of a northeastern edge to me with my hair, my accent, the way I dress... It's different, so it's exotic, so it works to my advantage sometimes. You know? They like that sometimes. You know, they're like, oh, you know. Oh, I love Jersey accents. I get that a lot from women. I, I love Jersey accents. I don't even have a strong Jersey accent. To them, I sound like I'm straight off of the fucking Sopranos. You know what I mean? So to them, it's, it's a very strong accent. Like, you know, it's not like I'm Enzo Amore over here. You know? So it's, you know. But to them, that's what I'm like. You know, to them, I'm Christopher Moltisanti, for God's sake. You know, it's, it's, you know. So, you know, it's like anything else. One day, I'm going to be, I'm going to live in New Jersey again. That I know for sure. I don't know when it's going to be, but I, I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be buried in Texas. Let's put it that way. 
The Cubs fan wants to know, when are the Reds going to trade Jay Bruce? Well, you know, they had a deal and the medicals of some of the minor leaguers that were involved in that three-way trade did not check out and he would have been a Blue Jay. Now I think, I I don't think they're going to look to move Bruce now until the deadline, the the trade deadline. I think at this point you hold on to him. Um, Look, I think the Reds are going to be a little better than people think. I don't think they're going to be contenders. I think the starting pitching is better than people think. I think the lineup is going to be fine. You get Mezzarocco back for the full year. I mean, I think he played five games last year or something. He had like 20 at-bats. With the hip. You get Mezzarocco back. Uh, Jay Bruce is bound to have a better year than he had last year. You have Votto is Votto. Uh, Suarez looks like a good young player. Okay, I think, I think you know, they'll hit enough. I think the starting pitching is better than people think. The bullpen is a dumpster fire and is going to be a huge problem. I don't trust J.J. Hoover closing games. You don't have Chapman. Um... You got Jumbo Diaz, Tony Singrani, and then a bunch of nothing in the bullpen. I, that bullpen is going to stink. But I think the starting pitchers are better than people think. I think once they call some guys up, they're going to keep some guys in the minors to game the system with the service time. So your Robert Stevensons and your Cody Reeds, as far, they're not going to start the year in the rotation. They'll bring those guys up in May or the end of April to get the extra year, you know, so they can keep them for the seventh year, like the Cubs did with Chris Bryant last year. They're probably going to do the same thing with some of the position players that they got in the uh, in the Todd Frazier trade and the Chapman trade. Okay, so you're not going to see, you know, so they'll st- so they might not have the team that they're going to have for the brunt of the year until May. Then from there, if they're within striking distance of the wild card, it wouldn't shock me. But I expect them to, uh, you know, you got a lot of young players. A lot of them uh, will not live up to expectations, and I expect them to be out of it by August. But I think they'll be a little better than people think. I think they'll win more games than they won last year. Last year was a disaster. They had, built, uh, you know, everybody got hurt. And they, they didn't even win 70 games. I think this team can go, you know, 70 and 92, or something like that. Win between 70 and 80 games. Flirt. I think they can flirt with 500. And then I think at the trade deadline, uh, you know, that's when they'll look to move Bruce, uh, Jay Bruce again. So. I don't think you'll see him moved in the spring. And, you know, the Reds did get a couple of nice-looking corner outfielders with some of the moves they've made over the last, uh, you know, six months or so. Adam Duvall from the Giants in the Mike Leake trade and, uh, you know, Shebler from the Dodgers in the whole uh, Todd Frazier three-way trade. So they've got a glut of these corner outfielders. And, of course, they have uh, Jesse Winker coming very soon, who could be one of those prospects who they wait until, you know, May or so to call up, depending how he starts off the year in AAA. Hasn't taken a AAA at-bat yet, so we'll see how he does there, but obviously he's the heir apparent to one of those corner outfield spots, and a guy who they view as a future star. So there's a little Reds baseball to finish this baby off. Thanks to the Cubs fan. So how about that? And as predicted, I said I was going to go an hour, and we're pushing to... You know, this Joe Lanza, he just doesn't know when to shut up. But when I promise to answer every question, God damn it, I answer every question. 
Actually, wait, look at this. We got some late questions coming in. Let's knock these off. Why not? I thought I was finishing up. That's like that. You know what you call that? You call that a false finish in this business. I got some more questions here. Mogul wants to know, when is young boy Case getting on the Lands Unfiltered podcast? He's referring to Case Low. Hey, look, you never know. Who could pop up on Lands Unfiltered? Maybe Case Low uh, will show up one day. I think it would be interesting to interview Case Low. Lands unfiltered. I have to think of an angle, though. Quote, any fun happenings thanks to the Tinder game recently? End quote. I got to tell you, Tinder's drying up for me. I don't live in a big town, so it's like once you cycle through everybody, it's the same faces that either matched you and it didn't work out, matched you and it did work out, or will not match you because, you know, they don't like you. And it's like Tinder, when you live in a small town, dries up pretty quickly. So Tinder has not been kind to me lately. I can't wait to get to Dallas. There'll be a whole lot of swiping going on in Dallas when I'm lonely in that hotel room in the middle of the night. I can promise you that. Quote, what's the worst film you've seen over the last year or so? End quote. Wow, let me think about that one. I don't think I've seen a bad movie in the last... I'm very picky with the movies I pick. I kind of play it safe. I read reviews. I make sure that it's... it's I, I don't like wasting time on media that I know I'm not going to like because I don't have a lot of time for stuff with all the wrestling that I watch and everything else. I'm going to cheat a little. I'm not going to give you a movie. I'm going to give you a TV show that I thought stunk and I couldn't get through the second episode. Jessica Jones on Netflix. What a terrible, awful show that was. Awful show. Terrible writing. The premise just doesn't work. It tries to be edgy and it's not. Oh, Jessica Jones stinks. Terrible show. Quote, do you believe Rob will ever have to eat his hat? He's talking about Rob McCarron, whose catchphrase has become, I will eat my hat if... And then he says, if something will occur... The most famous example is Rob says he will eat his hat if CM Punk ever fights in the UFC. You know, I think Rob might be right about that one. You know, he's got this back injury now. He'll probably be 39 years old before he's ever healthy enough to fight. CM Punk, that is, not Rob. So, yeah, I mean, I you know, I don't know if Rob will be eating his hat for that one, but Eventually, Rob will put his foot in his mouth and be forced to eat his hat for something else. King of Indie Style wants to know, quote, Who are some wrestlers that a lot of people like, but you do not? I personally cannot stand ACH, end quote. Well, I gave you one earlier. I gave you one earlier. Sammy Callahan. I... People love Sammy Callahan. I just, I, he doesn't connect with me. Speedball Mike Bailey. People love the Mike Bailey. Doesn't connect with me. I don't see the fascination with Mike Bailey. I really don't. Hopefully he bought some boots. Haven't seen him in a while. Been down in Mexico, working places I don't pay attention to. Maybe he bought some boots. Because that annoys me. Him and Sato in Japan without the boots, but with the kick pads, terrible look. 
apparently a lot of people like Roman Reigns, and I, I don't like him. Look, I think Reigns is an average worker. There's people who had who thought he was a top 20 worker for the year last year, which is absolutely batshit mentally insane. I mean, not even close. Not even close to one of the 20 best workers in the world last year. I mean, I don't know if he's one of the 20 best in his own company. Eh. If you count NXT, eh, he might have been top 20 WWE. I mean, he wouldn't have been top 20 in, like, Dragon Gate or New Japan or something like that. Well, maybe New Japan. I don't know if there's 20 I'd put ahead of him. But, I mean, the point here is, you know, he'd barely be top 15 in any competent company, in any decent company. Yeah, he'd be lucky to be one of the top 100 last year in the world. And people had him in the top 20. I mean, it's crazy. It's not that good. I mean, he could sell a little bit. That's really, you know... Got some nice end of the match offense, but he's not any kind of great worker. So there's two right there. Historically, I could go on and on and on. Um, Jumbo Saruta is a guy who is considered an all-time great, and I think he's okay, but I never saw him at that level. Um, a guy who, you know, like Masa Chono, there's people who love Masa Chono. I'm not alone in not liking Masa Chono. There's a lot of people who don't really dig Masa Chono. But there's a lot of people who really, really like Masachona, and I was never a big Masachono guy. Um, Stan Hansen. I think Stan Hansen is okay, uh, but there's a lot of people who think he's the best wrestler of all time. Um, or one of the best of all time. I don't put Stan Hansen at that level. Although I think, you know, he's very good. I, I don't want to knock Stan Hansen, but, um, you know, uh, I guess it wouldn't be fair for this question because the question is wrestlers that you do not like that other people. I, I, it's not that I dislike Stan Hansen. Maybe that one's unfair. Um, Tully Blanchard, there's a good one. I, I mean, I thought Tully Blanchard was as average as it gets. And I think the, uh, the I Quit match with Magnum TA is vastly overrated. Uh, An okay match that, again, some people think is the greatest match of all time, and I just, I don't see it. And I've tried to rewatch it a million times to see what other people are saying. So, Tully Blanchard is one... Um, who I just, I think he's pretty much average. People think he's pretty great. Um, I like Tully Blanchard's, like, character work and his gimmick and his promos. is it, Between the ropes, he didn't do a ton for me. Didn't do a ton for me. But yeah, as far as, like, your modern guys, it'd probably be Sammy Callahan and Mike Bailey immediately spring to mind. Like, immediately. And now I think we're officially done. That was the false finish. I had these two guys. There was a second page on the message board. The Voices of Wrestling message board, of course, which you should all sign up for. Tremendous board. If you haven't already, a new Lanza Unfiltered dropped last Friday, episode two. Once again, getting rave reviews, much like episode one did. Episode one, of course, was a breakdown of making a murderer with Lawyer, Aaron Bentley. Episode 2, we broke down the presidential election with Don't Worry About the Government podcast host, Chris Novembrino, political expert. He helped us break down the presidential election. Ray reviews again. The, the, most, you know, the most flattering thing, the most flattering uh, 
comments I'm getting about the Lanza Unfiltered podcast is people are saying that even when it's a topic that they don't think they're going to care about, we make it entertaining. And that really means a lot to me because that's really the goal of the podcast. Not every primary topic of the Lanza Unfiltered podcast is going to appeal to everyone. But I mean, there were people who told me, look, we didn't even, I didn't even watch Making a Murderer, but you and Aaron made that conversation very interesting. Anyway, I felt like I watched the show. Then I had people telling me, Joe, I live in Europe. I don't give a single shit about the United States presidential election, but that was an, a, a, a totally engaging conversation between you and Chris regarding the presidential election. And I listened to the whole thing. And then, of course, I've got the cold opens which people have liked a lot. There's a little something for everyone. Now, the show, you know, the humor is blue. I do go blue. It's not for everyone. Do not listen to it at work unless you're wearing headphones. You'll get fired. My comedy is not clean, as you may have suspected. The cold opens may not be for everyone. Skip to the conversation part of the show. Hey, the conversation parts of the show might not be for you, and maybe you just enjoy the cold opens. But give it a listen. Lanza Unfiltered. Search it on Audio Boom. It's been a raging success. Tons of downloads. Way more than I ever ex- expected. Hey, this Joe Lanza is a popular guy. Much more popular than Joe Lanza even thought he was. So the show's doing very well. And on the 25th, coming up in a couple days, episode 3 is coming out with the Falcon, Mikey Falcone. We're going to break format on Lands Unfiltered already. Episode 3, we're already going to break format. There's going to be no cold open because me and Mikey, we went crazy on our topic. You know, I had Mikey compile. He is a, a television sitcom expert and super fan. So I had Mikey compile his list of the top 10 laugh track television sitcoms of all time. And then we broke down his list and discussed the shows. And we intended to go an hour. And me and the Falcon ended up going three, nearly three hours on this topic. Which is right up against it as far as the amount of time I'm allowed or that I'm allotted by Audio Boom. So... This Friday show, the 25th of March, episode three, Lanza Unfiltered, me and the Falcon, Mikey Falcone, going three hours on the top 10 laugh track sitcoms of all time. You're not going to want to miss that. Especially if you're a big fan of television. And Mikey does a great job. We talk history. We break the shows down. We have a lot of fun. That'll be episode three, Lanza Unfiltered. Subscribe on Audio Boom. Look it up and subscribe. If you subscribe, if you already subscribe to the Voices Wrestling feed, you don't have to do anything. You're going to get Lanza unfiltered right into your phone or your device every two weeks, like clockwork. If you do not subscribe, but you specifically want to subscribe to Lanza unfiltered, you can do that at Audio Boom, and you can follow me on Twitter at Lanza unfiltered. You can't miss the shows if you follow me on the Twitter. Go listen to Rich's show, Voices of Wrestling flagship show this week with John Connor. Make sure you don't miss that. Listen, John Connor knows his WWE wrestling, and they break down WrestleMania for you. I'll be back with Rich probably this week for a new flagship. Match Madness on the website if you're into that. Vote for your favorite wrestlers. 
the Cubs fan has a uh, had a great preview of the CMLL show up on the website. The show's over, but you can go read the preview anyway. Which he did a tremendous job with that. And we've got all the show reviews from this week on the main page. VoicesWrestling.com, VoicesWrestling.com slash forums. And that's it. I got nothing else for you guys. Our one-hour bonus edition turned into two, to nearly two hours of audio for you. So there you go. That was the Q&A show. And if you thought it stunk, like I said, that's on you. Send better questions next time. I gave you guys a chance. Nobody, Nobody really, you know... I gave you guys a chance. You could have sent some questions with some juice, some controversies. You could have dug around for some scoops. But you guys crafted the show, so there you go. Hopefully I did a good job. And we'll see you next week or in a couple days on the Voice of Wrestling podcast. Take it easy. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and, and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.